0: Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by SunSouth. Spring is the season for doers, and SunSouth has quality John Deere tractors and mowers to help you tackle your terrain faster, more efficiently, and more affordably. During the spring sales event at SunSouth, save even more with 0% financing on select new John Deere tractors and mowers, plus... Get discounts on parts to keep your equipment running at its best. Hurry in during the spring sales event at SunSouth. Equipment for those that do. Some restrictions apply. See dealer for details. Expires March 31st, 2021. Well, Clint, today's show falls into the realm of, I would say, hunting tactics and land management all in one. And it wasn't too long ago we did a show on suppressors. If you haven't heard that show, definitely go back and listen to it. We talked about everything from how to obtain a suppressor to which one's the best choice uh, and maybe which duo or trio is the best choice. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit more about another kind of quiet weapon, and that is the air gun. These things are not just for kids anymore. I, I know I started out with an air gun. What about you?
1: Yeah, I had the old school pump BB and then graduated to the compressed air gun and got into plenty of trouble with that, but it was a lot of fun.
0: Well, man, they're not child's play anymore. We got, there's some serious hunting tools being put out these days. We're going to talk a little bit about that and just a really great tool for uh, keeping your property quiet, reducing recoil. We're going to talk about a lot of the benefits and different types and maybe how to actually make a choice on one. If you're considering that for doing some of your antlerless harvest may have a multitude of different reasons why you might want one. Before we get there though, let's go check in with Timber Mart South and get this week's timber market update. Joining us today is Jonathan Smith, the executive director of Timber Mart South for this week's current timber market prices update. In this week's segment, we're going to be looking at timber prices for the state of Florida. Jonathan, welcome to Huntingland. What's been happening in Florida? What data set are we looking at today?
2: Well, good morning, Joe. Thanks for having me on. We're looking at the uh, fourth quarter 2020 information for Florida this morning.
0: Well, man, it has been, uh, it's been wet and it's still wet right now as we're recording this. What's going on with timber prices? Are we seeing any change?
2: Well, currently, uh, well, I say currently, out of the fourth quarter 2020 information, uh, we're pretty flat. There was a little bit of uh, uptick on some of the saw logs. Pine saw timber came in around 29.60 for fourth quarter 2020. Uh, chip and saw was about 24 dollars and pine pulpwood was at 13.76. And then your, I'll go ahead and tell you what you got for hardwood. Hardwood. Saw logs were at $20.57, and hardwood pulpwood was at $7.26. So uh, your hardwood products were real flat. Uh, Your pulpwood products were pretty flat when you look at how it's been over the last four quarters. Uh, and there was a slight, almost a two-dollar increase when you compare to uh, saw timber and chipping saw to the last four quarters.
0: Man, you know, one of these days, Jonathan, we're gonna have a segment on here where you tell us that prices have gone up. I just know it. <laughs> but we have been flat <laughs> for a long time. Are there any any indicators that we're heading for any kind of an increase, decrease, or does it look to just keep remaining flat for now?
2: Well, you know, the rain, the rain is a good thing, right? We've got a lot of standing inventory. We've still got a lot of standing inventory out there in the woods. But uh, when the when the loggers can't get to it, that's a good thing for the landowners. So and also one thing that's been going on or a couple of things have been going on, I don't know if you've seen it in the news, but pulp prices as well as lumber prices have kinda been on the rise. So if it remains wet and it's difficult to get the the logs out of the woods, um, you know, that could result in some Price changes for the landowner. We'll just have to wait and see see what that looks like. So far, like you say, it's been pretty flat. So uh, we'll just see what it looks like.
0: I have noticed those pulp prices uh, a lot of, a lot of uptick in that. Not in not to the landowner. What's causing that? I mean, is this just speculation in the markets? Is there an actual demand increase? What's causing this this pulp increase?
2: I would just have to say speculation. You know. Mm-hmm everybody, it seems like everywhere we turn, somebody's speculating on something, especially in a futures or commodities market. You know, we've had some runs on toilet paper and uh, paper products within the household, within the home. So I can see, I can see speculation driving some of that. I haven't heard of any supply demand, inequalities that could be driving that, but I'm not in that market every day, but uh, that's, Uh, I I think it's probably more speculation than than any kind of supply demand drivers.
0: Well, what else is going on in Florida? I mean, is there any any news of note for the timber industry?
2: Well, in Florida, there have been a few announcements. Bender Holtz, number one, announced that they had settled an agreement to purchase the Klausner one mill in Live Oak, Florida, uh, and they are preparing to restart. And then uh, I do have a correction to uh, an announcement that we made in our news Uh, Georgia Pacific has only idled one of their two lines at their GP Perry Mill, and uh, that is the specialty dissolving pulp line Uh, it remains active uh, while the fluff and paper grade lines are shut down they've been shut down since July of 2020 and then another one that is just mainly a name change, but uh, just something that's been in the news is that Universal Forest Products acquired Pallet One. Uh, They have one facility in Bartow, Florida. And then uh, International Paper uh, has been in the news of late. Uh, They're planning to spin off their paper mills. And uh, so that'll, that will affect their mill in Cantonment, Florida there. That's all to be determined, I think right now it's uh, being called SPENCO, but uh, that is uh, something that's of interest to our market or to our uh, industry that uh, international paper is spinning off their paper mills.
0: Well, it's just good to see market activity and, you know, remains to be seen if this is going to change prices for the positive or for the negative, but right now things remain flat. I mean, obviously, you know, we can report on past and, but if folks want to stay up on what's going on in their state, uh, we're talking Florida today, you know, they really need to subscribe to Timber Mart South to stay up on those prices, all these market trends that we're talking about. If folks want to do that, how can they do that, Jonathan?
2: That's right. Yeah, we would love to uh, have them as a subscriber. We're a quarterly publication. Um, Best way to get our information is through our website it's wwwtimbermart southcom
0: all right folks well that's going to wrap it up this week and this week's current timber market update has been brought to you by bucks island marine at bucks island you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass pontoon and bow rider style boats new and used motors as well as kayaks for sale they love trade-ins which provides a steady stream of used boats They can rig your boat at their 18 Bay Service Department or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory trained and certified technicians. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Deer hunting season starts winding down. I start thinking about gear. I think about the the gear I use this year, maybe... Some of that gear needs to be improved upon. Maybe I want to try something new in the coming year. And I tell you, we're seeing this on the hunting side and on the fishing side. If you're thinking about changing up your gear, you need to be thinking about it right now because supply chains are being disrupted by COVID. There's a lot of of issues that, you know, you can't wait until right before next hunting season necessarily to count on having what you need. So we're going to be talking a lot about different types of gear and in the off season here. Today, we're really going to be talking and going in-depth on the different types of air guns that are out there for hunting. To do that, our guest today is Tyler Patner. Tyler Patner is the product manager for Pyramid Air. So, Tyler, welcome to Huntland, man. Tell us a little bit about your role at Pyramid Air and tell us a little bit about the company first and foremost.
3: Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Joe. So, Pyramid Air is the number one retailer of air guns in the world. We pretty much sell everything and anything air gun related. I like to say if uh, we don't have it, you probably don't need it. So as far as air gun stuff goes, uh, myself, I'm product manager over there. As you said, I do tons of stuff from like getting new products up onto the website, uh, new product testing, trying to ID like new vendors and and suppliers for air guns and, and uh, associated accessories. So I do quite a bit. That's it in a nutshell, man. You know, if it's air gun related, Pyramid Air is the place to go.
0: Well, man, first and foremost, I think when, when I think about air guns and I think when a lot of guys think about air guns, they're thinking about red riders and, you know, know, not something that you would use for any kind of serious hunting, but that's not the case nowadays. So before we get into choosing the best air gun for whatever type of hunting you may want to do, let's talk about the different types of air guns, some of the construction differences that are out there and how they apply. So what, are the different types of air guns. I mean, I know you've got spring-loaded models and I've seen models that are charged with a separate tank of compressed air. What's really going on in the world of air guns and the different types that are out there?
3: Sure, so probably the air guns that most people are familiar with are either spring piston air guns, which uh, ironically the Daisy Red Rider is probably the easiest example. That is actually a spring piston air rifle, even though most people don't recognize it as one. Uh, It's not very powerful, which is typically why, but your spring guns and your gas piston guns, they kind of function the same way, are typically seen as brake barrels. Most people are familiar with brake barrels in general. There are a couple other varieties that use that same power plant, but those can range anywhere from the low powered stuff like your Red Rider all the way up to, you know, small game hunting tools that can range, you know, into the 11, 1200 feet per second range. Uh, Which you'd find at a lot of big box stores. Obviously, we sell just about everything as well. There's CO2 guns, which CO2 guns really aren't used a whole lot for hunting. And that's typically just because CO2 is a temperature sensitive gas. And if you try to take it outside in the cold weather, you're going to get very diminished performance. Uh, So we typically don't recommend them for that. They can be great training tools or great basement shooters, but typically not the best for hunting. Then you go to multi-pumps or single-pump guns, and I think, you know, everybody's had a Crossman 760 or a a Daisy 880 maybe passed through their hands when they were a kid, and those are guns where you have to pump them. Everybody knows that clack, clack, clack noise of pumping one of those guns, Uh, and they can shoot BBs or pellets, and those are typically, uh, with the higher-powered versions, okay for some small game, you know, maybe pest birds at sub 15, 20 yards, or maybe chipmunks, things like that. And then you get up into PCPs, and that's really where air gun technology is headed. And that's where we're seeing a lot of growth and advancement and interest in air guns. And PCPs stands for precharged pneumatic. And that's what you were talking about earlier, having to charge them from a separate source of air. Uh, and we're talking about air, not oxygen. Uh, you can also use nitrogen in most of the guns as well, but we're talking about breathing air. These are guns that range from low powered 177 caliber guns that would be used in the Olympics that cost three or $4,000 all the way up to 50 caliber big bores that can take just about any game here in North America. So there's a really wide array of things you can do with air guns. And I think that that's the one thing we try to impress upon people is that It's not your Red Rider. It's not your Crossman 760 anymore. There's really whatever you want to do in terms of hunting or shooting in general, you can absolutely do it with an air gun, except for shooting a mile. That's not really reasonable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Man, I remember the first time I ever hit a squirrel with my Red Rider. I mean, like I'd been trying, you know, and those BBs kind of went where they wanted to after a certain distance. And the first time I ever hit one, I remember it, it hit him like right in the rump and he turned around and he looked at the BB, you know, and like it was, it fell off, you know, and I was so disappointed. I was like, I've got to upgrade this situation. So I went to, like you said, one of those multi-pump models. And then I was really in business. And by the time I kind of got old enough to where I was allowed to be out there with that, then I just graduated like to a 22 rifle and kind of left air guns at that point. Why are guys going back to air guns? What's the craze all of a sudden? It's talked about in the beginning of the show. We did a show a couple of weeks ago on suppressors for hunting, you know, trying to be quiet. I could see that as one benefit of air guns. I mean, is, is that the main reason people are going to? What are the real benefits of using one in a hunting scenario?
3: So a couple things, you know, I think a lot of folks use air guns for small game just kind of inherently. That's really where most people kind of go to in their mind as far as air gun capabilities go. We've seen a lot of uh, increase in business with COVID, obviously. I think the rest of the outdoor industry has as well. But really in those, those areas where it's the relatively inexpensive gun that that's good for shooting in the backyard because it's quiet, that's obviously a huge reason. But also there's no background checks, no paperwork. There's no none of that, right? You can have pretty much any of these shipped to your door unless you're in a handful of states that have further restrictions on them. But really, they're great tools for taking small game in the backyard. They can be wildly accurate and great tools for teaching young shooters also. It's really, you know, spring piston and gas piston, air guns, brake barrels, you know, they're typically not the easiest to shoot. Just they have a very weird recoil, you know, recoils both uh, back into your shoulder, but also forward as that, that spring and that piston actually hit home. So that's not so the pellets in the barrel a lot longer than a firearm. Let's just say it that way. So people are not used to having to really hold their shot. After they pull the trigger, you know, with a firearm, you pulled the trigger and that projectile has gone, you know, before you can really internalize what just happened. And with an air gun, that's just not the case. We're still talking milliseconds, but it's longer. So they really teach great fundamentals as well. Uh, if you can shoot a spring gun or a gas piston air gun, you can shoot just about anything with good accuracy and good precision as a shooter. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of people enjoy them. It, it's just different. And at the end of the day, you know, you talked about going to 22s when you had graduated from that multi-pump. If you think about it, a 22 long rifle with supersonic ammo is like a hundred foot pounds of energy roughly. That's ridiculous for a squirrel. Uh, you know, that, that bullet is going straight through the squirrel and Lord knows where it's going. Air guns, you know, a common brake barrel is going to be producing around 20 foot pounds of energy. And that's more than enough to take a squirrel uh, and more than accurate enough as well in most people's hands to take squirrels out to 50 yards really without a problem. So that's really what, you know, I try and tell folks is that, you know, a .22 long rifle, don't get me wrong, I love my 22s, but it's just overkill. And honestly, without going to a suppressed platform or buying a suppressor, which is sadly just with the the lead times and all that sort of stuff going on right now, and then the paperwork on top of it, not feasible for everyone. And air gun's a great alternative. They're super quiet. They're super easy to use. Ammo is way cheaper. That's another reason we're seeing a lot of people go over to air guns. Uh, it just makes sense once you kind of dive into all the stuff that is air guns today, modern air guns, at least. It's really a no brainer, at least in my mind.
0: You're talking about being overkill. And I want to be clear and say that I'm not ever saying or condoning not being responsible for where your projectile ends up. However, it is some peace of mind to know that if you're going to allow a, an adolescent, someone who's not an adult, and you're going to allow them to go out and start doing some small game hunting that if they're short-sighted, pardon the pun, then they are not going to have as much risk with that projectile as they would with a firearm.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really great point. A lot of times we see with, uh, with most of your common... So when I refer to commonly, you know, like a normal power range for an air gun... Typically, you're talking about a 177 caliber, 22 caliber brake barrel that's running between 800 and 1000 feet per second. That's kind of like the common power level for most of most of our uh, spring piston guns that that people are going to be familiar with. So when we talk about that, you're seeing that pellet maybe pass through a squirrel. But if it does, it's dumped pretty much all of its energy into that animal. If you were to go up to a big bore uh, air gun, for example, something that does produce that hundred or even more than that, you know, in terms of foot pounds of energy, you're talking about that projectile is is just like a 22 going straight through and you don't know where it's going to end up. So, you know, yeah, for, especially for young shooters that maybe aren't as cognizant of what's beyond their target. uh, That's really huge. You know, obviously you want to impress upon people that they always have a good backstop and know where their projectile is going to end up. But, you know, especially if you're, if you were on hunting on public land or something like that, you know, maybe you, you you know, squirrels up in a tree you're you're going to take that shot nine times out of 10, you may not know where that projectile is going to end up somewhere in the hundreds of acres of land you're hunting, hopefully, but uh, hopefully nowhere near anyone else. And with an air gun that just kind of uh, shores that up, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's a great point, you know, but you're talking about, we're talking about air guns that don't produce a lot of energy. That's not really what we're talking about when we step up to big game. You know, there's people now, obviously, you know, this, that are using air guns to take. I know whitetail deer are air guns being used for, say, medium sized game. Or are they being used for truly big game at all? What, what can somebody do if they wanted to hunt big game, medium sized game, big game with an air gun? What's out there?
3: Sure. So that's where you get into uh, our big bore air guns, right? You're, you're not going to use a 25 or a 30 caliber air gun to go after uh, even a whitetail. You know, you're going to want something bigger than that. So really, we're focusing on those 45 and 50 caliber air guns. Now, there are also some 357 air guns that can do the job and 40 caliber as well. Uh, but really, the 45s and, and 50s are where a lot of folks are going now uh, to take game like bison i've seen you know folks over in africa have taken um they call it black death the name of this animal always, uh, always escapes me cape uh, buffalo yes cape thank you um yeah, cape <laughs> <Buffalo>. it always <laughs> the name the always the one
0: that kills you if you don't kill it
3: yes right <laughs> um yeah folks have gone over to uh, africa and, and taken those guys You know, like like I said earlier, there's not really anything you can't do with an air gun these days. You you know, you have guns like the Air Force Texan line of guns, which are made right here in America. You have uh, HOTS on their pile driver platform. You also have the Umarex Hammer. Uh, These are all, you know, 45 and 50 caliber guns that produce upwards of 700 foot pounds of energy. Uh, You know, we're talking more power than any pistol caliber round, maybe Less than a 50 cal pistol round, but you know, that you're going to find out there on the firearm side. So, this is a ton of power, and there's not a whole lot they can't do within reasonable distances. And I think that's the part of the education process for folks is that you're not taking 200 yard shots with a 50 caliber air gun. You're, you're trying to keep things within uh, maybe a little further than like a normal archery distance, right? You know, that 30 to 50 yard distance is where these guns are going to shine. Can they perform further than that? Absolutely. Uh, but typically, you know, those sub-50, maybe 60, 70-yard interactions are where some of these big bore air guns that are really powerful are going to just do just as good as most of your firearms are. From an additional shot standpoint, like for, I'm thinking feral hogs here,
1: how long are you waiting between that first and second shot if you're trying to take down multiple pigs while it's quiet and just trying to get it you know, as much out of that sounder as you can.
3: So with a big bore, like the guns I just mentioned, most of those are single shot there. The Umarex hammer does have uh, a two round magazine. So that, that gives you that follow-up shot. There is really um, no lag time. You can shoot them as fast as, as you can reload them. Uh, So in the case of the Umarex hammer, it's just a matter of pulling the bolt back and, and cycling the next round into the chamber but realistically these guns are loud to the point where you're probably not going to get a follow-up shot. That noise is going to scare off, uh, most of your, your game. Uh, like I've, I've gone pig hunting before with, uh, you know, with an air gun and you take one shot and, and they're all scattered. Uh, they, a couple might lurk around, but for the most part, they're going to run away. There are certainly 25, 30, 35 caliber guns that are quieter and also have magazines, there are guns like the FX Impact in 35 caliber, the Benjamin Bulldog in 35 as well, uh, that are relatively quiet for the power level, and you'd be able to get a good follow up, but it's still, it, they're side lever operated, but it's all bolt action, basically. It's just on the side of the gun from a function perspective. So, you know, magazine fed, you're, you're going to be able to get a couple shots really quickly if you wanted to.
0: You mentioned that these guns are producing enough sound. Where would you compare that to? If we give out a decibel number, I'm not even going to know what that means. So comparing a big bore air gun to say a firearm, you know, a high powered rifle, where are we in terms of noise?
3: Nowhere close. (laughs) If you were indoors, it's really loud just because you have around you, but outdoors, even the most powerful big bore guns that are unsuppressed are not personally, I don't need hearing protection to shoot any of them. Right. Now, the cool thing about air guns is because they're air guns and not firearms, the ATF does not, the same laws do not necessarily apply when we talk about suppressing the sound of an air gun. Now it's kind of a gray area, but basically manufacturers are able to build in, you know, what we typically term as as moderators or shrouds onto the guns to keep the noise level relatively quiet. Your quietest big bore guns, like there's a version of the Air Force Texan that they call the LSS, the SS standing for super silent. That's a 700 or 800 foot pound gun, depending on the caliber you purchase. And it's sub 22 supersonics noise level. Wow. So You know, I think in decibels, you know, if you had a a sound meter, a couple feet away from the gun, I want to say it's just a little over a hundred. Don't get me wrong, it's not quiet, but it's certainly not loud enough to justify hearing protection. I wouldn't shoot it in the backyard of a suburban area, I'd say that as well. But if you had a lot of property, there's no reason you couldn't shoot it and not disturb the neighbors, you know, that are down the road.
0: I think, too, going back to what you're saying about not needing the hearing protection, one of the things that as a kid and young shooters, not necessarily just kids, but people that are new to shooting. They develop, can develop a flinch from just from the sound, just as much as the recoil. So not having to wear hearing protection is really one of the biggest benefits of using a suppressor in my mind. And if I heard you correctly, you're saying that y'all are able to engineer, it's not a suppressor, but you're able to engineer the weapon in such a way that it, it does dampen the noise and that's not regulated in the same way that suppressors are.
3: Well, so if you think about it, right, that the ATF is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and then explosives and whatever else is wrapped into there, which, regardless of your opinion on the ATF, which most of us probably don't have opinion (laughs) of, air guns is nowhere in there, right? So as long as your state, and this is all theoretical because they, you know, the ATF doesn't want to issue an opinion on it, as long as your state doesn't restrict or consider air guns as firearms, which I, I think two states do currently, I think Illinois and New Jersey, as long as they don't consider it a firearm, right. You're not, we're not talking about the same thing anymore. So you can build on a suppressor and and these are baffled portions of the gun, just like, uh, like, I think you guys did a podcast. I think the one you're referencing with dead air, right. Right. You could throw a dead air can on you know any of your firearms and it's the same idea conceptually uh you know that it's a baffled device attached to the gun the difference is with the air guns is that they're integral to the gun so they're not something that you're going to be able to take off and put on something else that's where in the air gun world at least we get into a bit of a gray area but it's it, most manufacturers will build in basically proprietary sound suppression uh, and that's the part of it, the fact that it's proprietary and can't be taken off and put on something else that, that really, uh, I think from a viewpoint perspective is the the saving grace, if you will.
0: It seems like to me from a hunting perspective, just being able to be quiet and then also helping these new shooters build those fundamentals, heck helping guys that have been shooting. I, I know I've had periods in my life where I was just shooting bad. I needed to get back on my fundamentals so I could shoot well again, those two things alone would make an air gun very valuable in the hunting woods to me. You mentioned legalities and whatnot. Are they 50 state legal for hunting or do you have to look at state regs as far as where they're legal and then what seasons they fall into? Clint and I were talking before the show, Clint, you were saying what you're kind of curious if it's a primitive weapons thing.
1: Yeah. I was curious when you could start using them when you can't and I think the applications are pretty versatile.
3: Yeah. So it is state by state, right? Even when we're talking about small game hunting, squirrels and rabbits, right. Are a great example. Some States will allow certain calibers of air guns and not others. Some will restrict it to 22s only, uh, you know, and 22 caliber air guns only. I mean, but not like a 25 caliber, for example. So you do have to know the regs in your own state. Actually to help with that, we created kind of an air gun map, which is a resource we have on our website, You can actually select your state and it'll give you a list of of basically all the game animals that are that are legal to take or and then further what kind of the maybe restrictions or or what the specifics are on what you have to use. When we talk about big game though, that's where we're I think it's about 20 states currently that have regs allowing air guns to be used on the books right now. And some of those states are. It's not liberal per se, but like super wide open in terms of their viewing of air gun hunting, where they'll allow any gun, regardless of energy, uh, as long as it's over a 30 caliber. Like I think Alabama, South Carolina and uh, North Carolina, I think, have regs that are super wide open. And then you have states like Michigan, which has actually allowed air gun hunting for a very long time uh, now, where it has to be 40 caliber and above. Texas is 35 and up, but they have power uh, limits on it. So you have to have something that produces over, I think, 225 foot pounds of energy. So again, you definitely have to know your regs for your state. And from a resource perspective, we try at least to do our best to, to keep that hunting map updated as new states come on board. I think last year, Tennessee and Georgia just jumped in. So there's lots of different places where you can use them, whether it's small game or big game. And obviously on private property for small game, at least you, you can do pretty much whatever you want in most states. Just make sure you know what, if you're in a suburban area that you know what your city ordinances look like. If you have any, there are certain areas where you can shoot a slingshot legally. So mm-hmm. definitely important to know your regs and
0: know your rules before you go out and start whacking things in the backyard. We don't live in them, their parts. uh, <laughs> because, but, uh... You know, so you were talking about these big bore PCP pre-charged pneumatic air guns, those being the quote unquote best for big game hunting. Can you give us some practical rules of thumb looking at things from a foot pounds of energy standpoint as to where we need to be when we're looking at different types of games? So in the Southeast, where both Clint and I are, pretty much dealing with medium-sized game and below. You maybe go up to Kentucky and get an elk or maybe go to North Carolina and get a bear or something like that. But generally we're talking about most of your hunters are going to be medium-sized game and below. So for something like a white-tailed deer, what kind of foot pounds energy do we need to make a ethical killing shot?
3: At a minimum,
0: I would say 200 foot pounds. Now
3: this is very distance dependent. When we talk about those power levels, even the most powerful air guns, 800 foot-pounds of energy, you're not developing hydrostatic shock. So, shot placement is of the utmost importance and choosing the right projectile for your application is also really important. Now, we do have air guns that shoot arrows as well. I'm a big fan personally because you're talking about producing more power than pretty much any crossbow on the market right now. If you're able to do that, you certainly do not need an 800 foot pound gun to take a deer with an arrow going 500 feet per second. People do it with much less out of their recurves and compound bows. Uh, But when we're talking about shooting a slug, yeah, that 200 foot pound mark is what I'd be looking for. But you can never go wrong with more power. I'm a big proponent of buying the not only the best gun you can afford, but also in this particular instance, if that's what you want to use it for, I would go for the most powerful. And that's going to put you in that seven or 800 foot pound range
0: better to have it not need it absolutely when you step down into something like a coyote or a predator you know i could see this being a really good application for that so can you get away with less there can you step down into some of these 30 caliber 25 caliber maybe get away with having a, something that you can have maybe a quicker follow-up shot yep absolutely absolutely I
3: personally, uh, from a like Coyote perspective, 25 caliber is personally what I would be after. 30 caliber is certainly uh, good as well, even some of the 35 cal options, but those 25s and 30s are going to be relatively quiet for you. And you're talking about, you know, for a sub 50 yard interaction, most 25 caliber pre charged guns you're talking about putting out on average, I'd say 50 foot pounds of energy. So about half that of a 22 long rifle. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but these are guns that shoot dime size groups at that distance all day. If you're a good shooter and no wind, of course, but uh, so if you know what you're doing, you're going to be able to put it between the eye and the ear every time at 50 yards and have zero problems putting that coyote down.
0: You mentioned earlier, you know, really what you feel like is the best size air gun for, small game we've talked about big game we talked about medium-sized game and and even a little bit smaller I don't know what you'd call a in between a small and a medium but a coyote predator type game Um, medium medium medium-sized game yeah I think that's fair (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) but I think golly man you know when it comes to like you said when you don't have hydrostatic shock on your side you look at when you're firing an arrow you've got to have a razor sharp broadhead. You're trying to do as much damage to the surrounding blood vessels and organs that you hit as you can. What about projectiles? So got to be a long way from a copper BB.
3: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about pellets or modern pellets, you know, you're talking about a lead projectile. There are lead free options out there, but typically, you know, I would actually prefer a lead projectile. Uh, Airgun pellets are usually very soft lead, which deforms really nicely in game and creates a bigger wound channel in a lot of cases, good expansion there as well. And one thing we've actually started to see specifically for PCP guns in the last couple of years has grown in popularity are slugs for small bore guns. So more of a like a conical bullet, if you will. And, you know, as PCPs have grown in what they're capable of from a power perspective, the projectiles have kind of kept up with that Uh, It really opened up what you can do. You're talking about a much higher ballistic coefficient projectile than a standard Diabolo shaped pellet or a like a shuttlecock, basically for those that, that, Mm -hmm. that's how a typical pellet looks, right? Where a slug being more of a bullet shape uh, is going to retain a lot more of its energy downrange when going to hit harder at the end of the day. So for small bore and kind of that mid bore up to 30, maybe 35 caliber, you know, a typical pellet shaped projectile is going to do just fine for most folks especially for small game you know they make hollow points pointed pellets domed pellets like there's a pellet just like there are in the firearms world I mean you, you have different shapes different sizes weights all sorts of stuff not only to find what's best in your gun but also what's most effective on game for the particular gun and caliber that you're shooting. When you get up into big bores, that's when you start talking about what we call them pellets but you're really talking about bullets right similar to what you would throw into you know a black powder gun right and there you're talking you definitely still have hollow points you have your wad cutters you know some pointed stuff but really you know you're it's a bullet it's strictly a bullet you know in, in the i think 50 45 and 35 calibers we also have arrow projectiles there are guns that shoot strictly arrows, and then there are guns that can actually shoot both pellets, slugs, whatever you want to call them, and arrows as well. So that's actually grown in popularity over the last couple of years quite a bit, too.
0: For big game, are we still looking at ammunition that's going to mushroom? And Maybe it's not even called ammunition, but projectiles might be a better way to put it. Are we still mushrooming at these speeds? So it depends.
3: <laughs> That's largely on how far you're shooting, right? Once you, most with air gun ammo, at least most projectiles don't expand too much below 600 feet per second. So Uh, Some of your lower powered big bores, you're not going to get a whole hell of a lot of expansion out of your, your ammo. And even with some of those more powerful options, not all ammo is created equal. So, you know, depending on what variety you're shooting yeah, you're, you're maybe not going to get crazy amounts of expansion. So that even furthers that whole idea of having great shot placement, especially when we talk about big game on small game, Quite honestly, even though the ammo that does expand, it really doesn't matter. I mean, if you put a shot into a squirrel's heart and lungs or into its head, which is really easy to do with how accurate these guns are, the lights are out. It's super ethical and super easy to do. The expansion uh, isn't as much of a factor. Tyler, I'm thinking
1: about this more from a standpoint of doe control and really any I guess varmints and feral hogs, anything I, you know inside a trap or otherwise where I'm going to be wanting to make a regular shots on a regular basis. And this offers me the opportunity to use these weapons on my land without making all that noise that a lot of people feel creates pressure on the game where they start to realize that, hey, season's in. If I take that approach, and I'm, let's just talk about deer to start with, where do you consider
3: the best shot placement for that? Well, when you're talking about using an air gun, I mean – Look, I, I don't tell people to take headshots just because it's typically harder to do, right? Especially when we're talking about deer. If you're comfortable with it and you, you know your gun and projectile well enough and, and know the distance and all those things, there's no reason you can't do it, right? I think the same thing applies to, uh, you know, anybody hunting with anything for that matter, at least, you know, when we're talking about guns, right? But still, you know, your really prime real estate on a deer is heart lungs and ideally the heart, Right. That's gonna put that deer down the fastest and most ethically. That's really at the end of the day, I think you know what we're all trying to do as hunters is taking the most ethical shot to put the animal down in the most humane way as possible and not cause it to suffer at all. So whether it's a pig or uh, on pigs, I'd, I'd actually go for a headshot as long as you're not facing them, you know, and you don't hit that nose plate. A heart and a lung shot will be effective on a pig, but there's no reason you can't take a headshot if you get that broadside opportunity. Same thing with coyotes. But when we're talking about bigger game, like a deer, for example, yeah, your your heart and lungs are going to be your best
0: options. I always find it funny that uh, us hunters, we're all the same. You know, it's like when we're taking a deer, we want to do it nicely. But when we're taking a hog, we're like, yeah, just whatever. You know, just get get them out of there. (laughs) Same with coyotes, you know?
3: (laughs) You know, it's it's funny. I, I actually... So I had never really gotten a good grasp of how destructive feral hogs were (laughs) uh, until I I went down to Texas and had an opportunity to hunt with Keith Warren and his team on a property. And I mean, just you felt the ground move when there there were like 30 pigs that just came in on this feeder like that. And, And we were just sitting there and I'm, you know, first time ever, I'm going, is this real? You know, I think about it from a deer hunting perspective where you might be, at least here in Ohio, like you might see one or two deer if you're sitting in an evening or something. But to see 30 of one species of animal just run up on you, I was like, holy crap. You know, I, I took one with a part lung shot and, uh, you know, they're tough animals, man. That they, thing they, they ran probably a good 100, 150 yards. Uh, the next day, actually, we took a headshot on one and it was one of the one of the more gruesome deaths that I've ever seen. Uh, there, there's the videos on YouTube, but it just, it, the lights they were, don't go down easy. Yeah. yeah, no, but it's crazy. You know, I think a lot of people don't really see the power of an air gun until you put it out there for them, you know, and that kind of, yeah. Problem. Right. And I mean, the, the lights were just out and, uh, but the thing, you know, obviously the nerves fire and, you know, they, they go nuts just like, Most animals do. I was just like, just to see them in that kind of scope and see the damage that they do. It's just crazy. And, you know, we don't think about it, I think, until you see it.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Well, you're talking about shot placement, Clint. And I I think that really just brings me to optics. Are we looking at buying the same kind of optics for an air gun as we would for firearm? I mean, I'm thinking with the lack of velocity, and I shouldn't say the lack of velocity, but we're dealing with a lot less velocity than we will with a firearm. Are we looking at BDC reticles a lot? What are we going to be looking for when it comes to optics and air guns and different types of hunting air guns specifically? Sure.
1: What's a necessity versus what's overkill? Right.
3: Right. Okay. So when we talk about airgun optics, uh, when you're talking about a spring piston or a gas piston air gun, you do need a scope that is rated for that power plant. Because they have what we call a bi-directional recoil, I mentioned it before, they, they recoil both backwards and forwards, which is kind of atypical from what a firearm recoils like. And then you have to deal with like spring torsion and, and all that stuff going on as well in the vibration. There are certain scopes for firearms specifically out there that will not hold up under that recoil. So that's an important thing. Now, now bear in mind, those scopes don't necessarily cost a lot. It's just you want to make sure you're getting something that is rated for that power plant. But when we talk about, you know, your PCPs and even further than that, you know, if you did want to use a spring piston or a gas piston air gun or any type of air gun to shoot further, yeah, you, you definitely want some kind of reticle that gives you multiple hold points. And typically, you know, I think the most basic form of that for us in the air gun world is a standard mil dot reticle. But yeah, we have there are certain optics manufacturers that have tailored a lot of their offerings to air gunners. I think Hawk is a is relatively well known they do reticles that are actually specific to air guns and will give you kind of that whole Christmas tree effect where you even get some, some wind hold reference points as well as your drop uh, references as well. Uh, And if you do want to shoot that far, you know, that's when you get into, kind of almost the same way as you'd set up a gun for like PRS, like precision rifle series or NRL 22 type competition, where you have to know your holdovers at that point and that, that you can plug your your stuff into a ballistics program and figure it out on the computer. Or you can go out in the, in the yard and shoot and actually figure out what those hold points are as references uh, with whatever ammo you're using and all those other factors. But that's absolutely a necessity uh, with an air gun, especially at the distances we're shooting, you know, a, a 500-yard shot with a firearm
0: is, is probably a 60 or 75-yard shot with an air gun, if, if I were to compare it. You're talking about something that applies to no matter what kind of weapon you decide to hunt with, and that's only as good as the nut behind the wheel. So yeah. when it comes to air guns, if we wanted to go grab something off the shelf and hunt this weekend, what kind of price points are there out there? I mean, if, I know that with, as with anything, you can spend as much as you want to spend. But if somebody wants to get into a uh, a big game hunting gun and just be ready to rock this weekend out to a certain distance mm-hmm. and then on down into the medium uh, medium size game, as we're calling them today, and then into small game, where are those price points right now?
3: For small game, you know, you're relatively inexpensive. Uh, you're talking about maybe you can probably get away with sub $200 easily with ammo included you know there are tons of options obviously your better quality break barrels and stuff are going to be in that three to five hundred dollar range and then you're talking about optics so you're probably all in maybe six seven hundred dollars but if you did want to go a more affordable route there are certainly break barrels out there that are 150 bucks come with a scope that's usable Uh, you just need to buy ammo targets you know those types of things so you can get into it for 200 bucks for small game easily when you talk about PCPs, the problem that most folks have with pre-charged guns is that there's ancillary equipment necessary. So you need a tank, you need a compressor, or you need a hand pump. And when I talk about a hand pump, I'm talking about a bicycle pump on crack. You know, like it's, <laughs> you, it, you, we're, we're talking about filling guns to 3000 PSI. We're not talking about your shop compressor out in the garage, putting out 125 PSI to, to power your hand tools, you know, like it, it's very, very different. So I have to make that distinction up front, but those accessories cost a fair bit in and of itself. So if you do want to get into a PCP, one of the great things about air guns over the last couple of years is that we've really seen a drive by a lot of manufacturers to put out relatively affordable and $200 to $300 price point pre-charged pneumatic guns that have really high-end features that are regulated. And what I'm, when I say regulated, that means it keeps the gun at a consistent pressure. So you're getting very consistent velocities, which is going to lead to good accuracy. There's a ton of guns out there now in that two dollars to $300 price range that are capable of taking 50, 60 yard shots on small game. And even with 25 calibers, even into some of that schmedium game, <laughs> you know. But the problem there is that, and knowing this up front, you have to buy something to fill it with. So you might spend three hundred dollars on the gun. If you bought a hand pump, you can spend anywhere from one fifty maybe to, to about two fifty on a hand pump, and then you're going to need a scope. So you know, let's say five six hundred bucks all told, and you're going to be able to get all those things easily. Like they're all readily available. But once you get it up into to big bores, that's where the price starts to increase pretty considerably. Your least expensive big bore that puts out about 200 foot pounds is going to be six to seven hundred dollars, and then talking about those guns that produce seven eight hundred foot pounds. I think the Umarex hammer is about seven or eight hundred bucks. Uh, the Air Force Texan, depending on what version of it you get, because like I said earlier, they make suppressed versions, different barrel lengths, different calibers. Those start at about a thousand dollars. And same thing with that Hots on Pile driver as well. And then you still need something to fill it with. You still need the scope. So you're definitely talking some considerable coin for a gun like that, you know, 1600 $1, bucks all in. And one thing I should also tell people, like if you are going to buy a tank to fill the gun with, make sure you have somewhere locally, whether it's a fire department, a paintball shop, scuba store, something like that, that can fill the tank before you purchase it. The great thing is for about the same price as a tank now, you can actually get a, what we call a personal portable compressor. Uh, so something that'll run off a 12-volt battery so you can take it into the field with you if you need to. You can certainly also plug those units into a wall at home as well. But there are a lot of options for filling the guns now, which is really the great part about it. Uh, so for folks that don't have as strict of a budget, you know, there's definitely lots and lots of options. I'm referencing kind of the starter prices for different power levels and things like that. But, you know, you can obviously go up from there and and like most things, at least in in our industry, whether it's firearms or air guns or outdoors in general, you still get what you pay for. There's a big difference between buying a $1,000 22 caliber PCP and a $300 22 PCP. So they both shoot great. They can both do great things in the hands of a capable shooter, but there's definitely a big difference in quality and performance.
0: Yeah, and I think it goes with anything. I think you know, you were talking about being able to get these weapons and get them without necessarily background checks, without mm-hmm. having to deal with a lot of the hoops you have to jump through for just a normal firearm and definitely with suppressors. Have you guys been affected? Has this industry been affected by the demand for firearms that we've seen in 2020 and now going into 2021? Doesn't look like that's changing, and also the lack of availability of ammunition is that affecting air guns as well is it hard to get ammo right now
3: yes but i think a lot of that is driven by the firearm side so so in yes uh, basically like all things outdoors covid It's like terrible to say, but yeah, COVID uh, created this boom in our industry, just like it did in the firearm side and, and bicycles, like anything that has to do with getting outside, I think people kind of flock to. But yeah, now even further, as we see kind of the demand for firearms increase, people are now saying, okay, I'm not able to get a brick of 22 for a reasonable price. I'm not able to get nine millimeter anymore for a reasonable price. So I'm going to buy an air gun to keep my skills sharp. And we've talked a lot about hunting air guns, but we sell a lot of replica pistols and rifles as well. Whether you're talking about like Glock, Springfield, you know, like tons of different brands, Uh, same goes for rifles. So they're reasonable training facsimiles. You know, like you you can, you get the same kind of feel that you do uh, from your real steel equivalent, without all the recoil and the noise you know and and some of these guns even with co2 pistols it actually simulate that recoil for you which is kind of neat it's nowhere near the real thing but it, it gives you that feedback that you're looking for when you're training so yeah we've absolutely seen a big big demand and even further you know people are, are not able to find what they used to be able to find for their firearms so now they're turning to other things, uh, air guns being one of them to do the same stuff that they were doing with their two threes or, you know, like varmint hunting is a great example. We got a lot of people buying 25 and 30 caliber pre-charged guns right now that normally would spend thousands of dollars a year on ammo and maybe their Predator AR bolt gun, they're turned into an air gun and the ammo is significantly less expensive. 25 caliber, you can buy 350 rounds for 18 bucks. Yeah. Where else can you do that? If you're talking about training with a BB gun or something, uh, you can buy 6,000 rounds of BBs for 10 bucks.
0: Right, right. And then you talk about having that pump too. If you can charge your own gun and not be relying upon someone else to fill a tank or whatever, now you're able to just have something that from a, and this is another thing that's boom this year is just the survival mentality. The self-sufficient mentality has really started to pick up and that's going to make for something that's going to last a lot longer, be more quote unquote sustainable for folks with that interest in mind.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And yes, like there has been a, a big strain. I think you referenced it before on the supply chain for not only air guns, but also the ammo, but now and most manufacturers are starting to catch up with it, but we offer enough variety where you're going to be able to find something to shoot. And even further than that, like ammo prices on the air gun side haven't increased so it is not that situation with a firearm where you just bought your your brand new handgun and now you got to pay 40 bucks for 50 rounds of ammo. Now nah, the prices for for pellets has stayed pretty consistent. Goes up here and there but not double. You know, that's that doesn't happen. So yeah, that there's lots of lots of opportunities to to shoot more, I think with air guns than there is with firearms right now at least. We don't look at them as a a replacement for firearms. They'll never be that. And we hope that they don't ever become that from a legislation perspective. But it's certainly a good alternative that we're happy to preach the good word on because we know just from the nature of our business of how beneficial they can be, uh, not only for hunting, but just keeping your skills sharp. Uh, And if you enjoy shooting as a practice, as just something that you like doing. Air guns are a ton of fun and you can do it in the backyard with extreme accuracy out of most of these guns. And I think it, it just, uh, when people get that experience, they go, holy crap, like, why didn't I, why wasn't I doing this sooner? So that, that's one of the things that we try to impress upon people.
0: Well, Tyler, man, you've covered a lot of ground today and I hope we've answered some questions that folks may have had, maybe turned them on to a part of the industry that they hadn't thought about before. But I know you guys put out a ton of content, like you mentioned previously on your website. So if folks want to look up more information, answers, maybe look at a frequently asked questions or maybe contact you guys if they've got questions about air guns for hunting, what's the best way for them to look you up online or, or reach out? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so www.pyramidair.com
3: We spell it a little funny. Uh, P-Y-R-A-M-Y-D-A-I-R. You find us online. we got tons of resources there, whether it's videos or blog content. Uh, like I said, we got hunting maps and things like that, so you can kind of figure out what might be the best choice for you, buying guides, all sorts of stuff. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you know, all the normal places. Uh, you know, we do a lot of stuff on Instagram and YouTube in terms of putting content out there and answering folks' questions. You know, we have a, a full call center staff uh, that's working from home still, but, you know, we, they're they're there if you, uh, if you need to talk to somebody or you can reach out to us via email as well. So uh, we're, we're there if you have questions.
0: Well, thanks, buddy. Thanks for joining us. We'll look forward to hearing more about the air gun industry as it continues to innovate. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys. Clint, that's some pretty cool technology they got. Uh, what'd you learn from what Tyler had to say today? Anything surprised you out of today's interview? Yeah, it changed my mindset on
1: them in terms of the larger game. I had just I guess not realized how far those things had come. You know, when I hear about air rifles, I always think small game, rabbits, squirrels, that kind of thing. I don't, I've never thought of them as much for the whitetail and hogs and things like that. And it seems like a really good solution for that early season. I guess time in the season, doe control, you know, if you're trying to get in and, and do it without really making a lot of loud shots on the property, especially for smaller landowners.
0: There's that. Then there's the aspect of, if you wanted to introduce somebody new to it and being reduction recoil reduction and in, in sound but i think the thing that stood out to me was the fact that you can just get on the internet and order one of these things and with and with the projectiles being so cheap you could literally set yourself up with one of these pcps a pump that ran off of uh, any type of power it sounds like and a thousand rounds of ammunition i mean it literally have a hunting weapon available to you forever the rest of your life and not have to worry about ammunition availability not have to worry about regulations from a sustainability kind of doomsday prepperish kind of mindset seems like that's this seems like to me the the best situation but very cool stuff y'all head on over to pyramidair.com and check out their lineup and they got a ton of great content over there if you got other questions but folks that's gonna wrap it up this week We want to make it easy for you to listen as soon as each new show is ready. So here's a handy option for you. To get the podcast emailed to you each week, just text the word HUNTING to 773-770-4377. Again, the word HUNTING to 773-770-4377 to join our email list. And as always, please be safe out there. We'll talk to you next week. This week's Hunt and Land podcast has been brought to you by Farm Credit of Northwest Florida. At Farm Credit of Northwest Florida, they believe you deserve the opportunity to pursue your dreams to grow, whether that is through building a homestead, a rural retreat, or building an agricultural enterprise. Choosing your lender and applying for a loan can seem overwhelming, but for over 100 years, they've helped people just like you eliminate, the unexpected and secure financing. They do it by helping you explore your options so you can apply with confidence and get started living your dream in the country. Check them out online at www.gorural.net or give them a call at 855 Go Rural. And also brought to you by Brush Clearing Services. Check out their full line of property and land services at brushclearingservices.com or call them at 706-718-1690. And also brought to you by SunSouth. From outdoor equipment, parts, service, accessories, SunSouth has you covered. Own the best for less. Visit SunSouth or sunsouth.com for quality John Deere equipment sun south for those that do and also brought to you by bucks island marine they have new pontoon boats bass boats bow riders and aluminum boats for sale they provide boat service on all kinds of boats even if they weren't purchased from bucks you can visit them at 4500 highway 77 in Southside, alabama or give them a call at 256-442-2588
1: this week's show has been brought to you by joe bya and clint flowers members of the top producing team at national land realty the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation bottom line we know land and now is a great time to buy or sell want to know why shoot us an email at pros@landhunting.com at or call us at 855 nlr land
0: and also brought to you by great days outdoors magazine Great Days Outdoors magazine guides you on hunting and fishing south of the Mason Dixon. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com.